doing real good, I said to the mouse as I put him down. Though I'd repeated this process dozens of times without fail, I still always said a little prayer, a small plea that it would work. The question I was trying to answer was, could optogenetics be used to identify the neural mechanisms involved in psychiatric illnesses where there are issues with reward seeking, like in depression, where there's too much restraint in seeking pleasure or drug addiction, where there's not enough? In other words, many, many years down the line, once we'd figured out a way to identify and isolate the parts of the brain that are involved in these illnesses, once we've jumped all the necessary hurdles to making this research useful to animals other than mice, could this science work on the people who need it the most? Could it get a brother to set down a needle? Could it get a mother out of bed? That's Stanford neuroscientist Dr. Christina Kim, who goes by Tina, reading an excerpt from the 2020 novel Transcendent Kingdom by Ya Jesse. Reward-seeking behavior is fundamental to survival, but suppression of this behavior can be essential as well. And that's novelist Ya Jesse reading from her good friend Tina Kim's 2017 research publication entitled Molecular and Circuit Dynamical Identification of Top-Down Neural Mechanisms for Restraint of Reward-Seeking. Well, that's a mouthful, isn't it? In humans and rodents, the medial prefrontal cortex has been implicated in suppressing reward-seeking. It's a study that helped inform the story and main character of Transcendent Kingdom. However, despite vital significance in health and disease, the neural circuitry through which medial prefrontal cortex regulates reward-seeking remains incompletely understood. Do you remember what you thought when you first read that? <laughs> I, I thought, what does any of that mean? <laughs> Today, we're talking with Yah and Tina about Tina's research on the neuroscience of addiction and depression, Yah's book, Transcendent Kingdom, that features that science, and their friendship that gave Yah the idea for her best-selling novel. I'm Rob Piercy. I'm Rachel Tampa. And this is Lab Notes. I'm super excited about this episode. Uh, as I think you know, Rob, I've been fangirling about getting to interview Ya Jesse for weeks now. Yeah, we've been talking about this for a long time, and I know that when you first pitched this idea, you were super excited about it. And here we are today, finally happening. I'll just recap how we decided to do this because it's a bit different from our past podcast episodes. Um, so Ya Jesse's second novel, Transcendent Kingdom, came out last fall. I grabbed it from the library as soon as it was available because I just loved her first book, Homegoing, so much. And when I was reading it, I didn't actually know what Transcendent Kingdom was about, but it turns out that the main character, Gifty, is a neuroscientist. So I haven't read the book here. You're going to need to give me a bit of an overview. Sure. Gifty is a graduate student in neuroscience at Stanford, and the book goes back and forth between her present day, doing research on the neuroscience of addiction and depression, and her childhood in Alabama, growing up in a household where her older brother Nana was addicted to opioids and he eventually died of a heroin overdose, uh, and her mother suffered from severe episodes of depression. As Gifty is doing her research on mice to understand addiction and depression, her mother is actually staying at her apartment, and she's not eating or getting out of bed because she's in such a seriously depressed state. It's really sad and just a lovely book. Well, you know, we talk a lot about the human side of science, and this is really it, right? 
even though she's a fictional character, it's a scientist studying something very real that affects so many people. Totally. And the way she describes the science and the scientist is so accurate. As I was reading, I thought to myself, is Yad Jesse also a neuroscientist besides being a writer? Right. And I flipped to the back to see if she talks about having a background as a scientist. But in the acknowledgments, she cites the work of her brilliant friend, Christina Kim. Yeah, she is brilliant. Tina Kim is a neuroscientist at Stanford studying these very same neural pathways in mice related to addiction and depression. And she's also a next generation leader at the Allen Institute. The Next Generation Leaders Program, or NGL program, is a cool advisory program Allen Institute scientists run for early career researchers in neuroscience. Yes, I was like, this famous novel features real science by someone we know. That is so cool. And then I thought maybe we could get the two of them, Tina and Ya, on the podcast together to talk about the book and the research. And then you sent me an email that I think was just three giant exclamation points when they agreed to do the show. <laughs> yes, I did. And that's basically been my state of mind about this episode ever since. And this was our conversation with the two of them just a few weeks ago. Maybe the two of you can start by telling us how you met and how long you've been friends. Tina, do you want to start? <laughs> Yeah, so Jan and I, we actually didn't meet and become friends, I think, until senior year of high school, right, Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, yeah. so we had, uh, we went to different middle schools, but we're both in the same town. We, we grew up pretty close to each other. Um, and then we somehow met, I don't know, in a series of courses or something, classes we had together, uh, yeah, senior year, and then... I don't know, formed like a really strong friendship very quickly that sort of has just lasted throughout until now. What was it that made you guys click? I don't know. I feel like I secretly wanted to be friends with Tina. Um, and I think it, she just seemed very cool. I liked her clothes. Um, <laughs> I thought she was very fashionable. We share a very similar sense of humor. And I just, I don't know, I can talk to y'all for hours. Once we realized like what we had in common, it was just pretty natural and quick to, to become close. Yah and Tina both grew up in Huntsville, Alabama, which is also where Gifty, the main character of Transcendent Kingdom, grew up. Yah drew on many aspects of her own childhood to inform Gifties. Yah was born in Ghana and moved to the U.S. as a young child, and Gifty is also Ghanaian-American. Both Yah and Gifty are Black and grew up in an area of Huntsville with few other Black families around. And the novelist and her main character both grew up going to a white Pentecostal church in Alabama. But the present-day parts of Transcendent Kingdom take place at Stanford and more closely match Tina's life experiences as a scientist. This is one of the things that always interests me when watching a movie or listening to a song or reading a novel is how much of a person's real life fits into this story and what's fact and, and what's fiction. So this is super interesting. Can you tell us sort of when you knew that you wanted to be respectively a writer and a scientist? Like, what was the impetus for your career decisions? Um, I, I knew from a very early age that I wanted to be a writer. Um, I read so much as a child. Um, we had this program called Accelerated Reader uh, in my middle and elementary schools. Um, and I got very into that, was very competitive about it. It's like a program where each book is assigned uh, a number of points. Um, but even beyond that, I just loved reading so much. Um, 
And very quickly for me, like reading and writing went hand in hand. Like I always felt like writing was just an extension of my love for reading. Um, but I had no idea that it was like a profession that you could do. I just was doing it and then hiding the stories in my closet so my brothers wouldn't find them. I just remember like if you got to certain amounts of points, you could take it to the librarian, Miss Rutledge. And she would give you like the a coordinating prize for whatever the amount of points was. So like 10 points, you could get a soda and then like 50 points, you'd get a little beanie baby. And then like 100 points, you'd get a large stuffed animal. So my closet and Huntsville is like stuffed with all of these beanie babies and like stuffed animals that I have nowhere to put and don't know what to do with now. That's so turn of millennium, beanie babies. What was it like? coming of age in Huntsville at the dawn of the new millennium? Huntsville, I just, I don't know about, yeah, but I just, I just remember growing up and always just feeling this, like, oh, I just have to, just have to like make it to college and then I can, you know, go and explore the rest of the world. Um, I hadn't really been anywhere else other than, you know, Alabama, Georgia, and then my, my mom's family is in Florida. So I was just kind of, yeah, just waiting and waiting and waiting. <laughs> I, I thought that college would be like my great escape. After high school, Tina headed off to the East Coast for college and y'all went to California. They stayed in touch and then overlapped for a while when Tina started grad school at Stanford and y'all was still living in the Bay Area before she headed off to Iowa to start a graduate program in writing. As Tina was studying the brain pathways related to addiction and depression in mice at Stanford, Ya was writing her first book, Homegoing. After she sold that novel, she moved back to the Bay Area. Tina, you know, knowing Ya's passion for writing and, you know, she goes off to Iowa and then comes back and publishes her first novel. As a friend, when you see a friend having this really cool success like that, what's that like for you? Oh my God, I'm just, my heart is like full of joy for her. I, I mean, I can't express fully express like how proud I am of her. Um, I don't know. I I think it's just amazing to see someone so talented to just like have a vision from day one and just seeing where it's led. It's it's amazing. After Homegoing came out, Yaw was trying to figure out what to write about next. She started working on one idea that she ended up abandoning. And around this time, Tina had a paper that was due to be published um, and was very excited about it, had texted me about it. And then I asked if she could send it to me. Um, I remember my partner and I like sat down and tried to read it and I couldn't understand what was happening in it at all, um, which I thought was kind of strange because I spend all this time with this person and ostensibly know what she does for a living, but didn't actually. Um, and so I just asked if I could go shadow her in her lab Um, And at that point, I didn't think I was going to be writing about it. Uh, I just mostly just wanted to know what she did all day. What was it like to be able to learn that and really get a greater sense about what Tina does? Yeah, Um, honestly, it was such a gift. Like, I think so there are so few opportunities to see someone that you love in a in a different context, like in the work context um, where like I, I knew um, I suspected that Tina was brilliant, 
Um, but then to like see her work, um, like see her at work and hear her talk about her work and see the ways that she lights up when she talks about her work and to think about the implications of her work, um, the broader implications of her work. Uh, I just, I, I found it really moving. Um, and I, I think it just kind of like deepens something in the scope of your friendship and in, of your understanding of each other. Um, cause now I, I can't unsee that part of her when I, um, when I talk to her, when I know her. Tina, could you give us just a brief summary of the project that was described in that paper and then it went on to sort of be the project of the main character in Yaw's book? So the goal of that research was to identify a neural pathway or projection in the brain that is sort of important for regulating self-restraint or in this case, self-control of reward seeking. And so as Yad mentioned, I think a lot of my research is sort of inspired by, you know, neurological psychiatric disorders such as depression or addiction. Believe it or not, Tina models addiction in mice by getting them hooked on Ensure, that chocolatey meal replacement shake. She trained the mice to push a little lever for a tiny drop of the shake. Now, I've had an Ensure before, and it's hard to imagine anyone or anything being addicted to it, but apparently mice can become addicted. After the animals learn to press the lever for a sweet reward, the scientists pair the treat with a little electric shock, and pretty soon, most animals learn to avoid the reward, even if they really like it. But some animals keep going back for the inshore, even as they're getting punished at the same time. Now, to put that in human terms, maybe it's similar to the enjoyment you might get from drinking a lot when you're out with your friends, you have a few too many cocktails, the hangover the next morning makes you reconsider indulging so often. Exactly. But then there are some people who continue to drink even though they have those negative consequences, or even if they might want to stop drinking, they can't. We still don't know what's happening in the brain when someone has an addiction to alcohol or another kind of addiction. And that's what scientists like Tina want to figure out. And so I was interested in finding a pathway in the brain that could regulate the amount of controls that the mice exert. Because you can imagine, um, you know, sort of either way, if, if you don't pay enough attention to this negative outcome that can lead to abnormalities related to addiction where you you ignore ignore negative outcomes and just always want to seek a reward um, whereas on the other hand you know of course disorders like depression are you're sort of maybe going to be hypersensitive to something like an aversive foot shock and stop too soon as well um, and so the the big picture finding was that there was this one projection pathway coming from the prefrontal cortex. And so this is, you know, potential neural substrate that hopefully will be important for regulating motivation um, to maybe develop better therapies at some point um, for human psychiatric disorders. I also wanted to ask a bit about Gifty's brother and mother who, so in the book, her brother is um, addicted to opioids and her mother suffers from depression. And so could you just tell us a bit about how you fleshed out those characters and how you got into the heads of people who are suffering from these disorders? Yeah, it almost felt like a, like a writing prompt of a novel. Like if you were in a creative writing class and your teacher told you to write a novel about a woman who uh, researches addiction and depression. Um, and there are like a million ways that you could go about that, but I decided to have it 
um, have it so that those two disorders like affected her life personally um, through these uh, secondary characters, her mother um, who is suffering from depression and her uh, older brother who passes away um, and struggles with opioid use disorder. Tina, your work is on mice. Do you think very much about humans that have the disorders that your mice have? These disorders are, they're so prevalent and universal. They can affect basically any type of community. So yeah, I've I've started thinking more and more, especially as I grow as a scientist, thinking more on the translational and, and human side of things. I think it's great that in mice we have you know, a lot of these fantastic technologies um, that we can use to study the brain circuits that maybe underlie these disorders in humans. But for me, the long-term trajectory goal is to really start to think about um, how we can develop therapies or a better understanding of, of why these manifest in humans. I wanted to ask what each of you takes away from this process. Yeah, you got to see the inner workings of what it's like to be a scientist working in a lab. And then Tina, at the other end of things, you get to see how your world in the lab becomes part of a novel. What's the takeaway for each of you? One problem I think about a lot in the STEM fields is a lack of representation of women and and. Black women and Indigenous Latina women um, in the sciences. And so what Yaz done is created this novel where the protagonist, right, is representing this entire voice. And um, I think it just helps to amplify the voices and and the science and sort of the image of of Black female neuroscientists to both communities, both the pure science world and just the broader audience. And that's something that I, I never really thought of, like the power of how fiction can do that, right? This work, it's just this beautiful story that immediately just draws you in and I hope can change people's perceptions of, of um, what a scientist is and what a scientist can look like or, or think like. For me, I would say one thing that I found really moving um, and interesting listening to Tina talk about um, how she came to do her work uh, was just the amount of time she spent talking about like the nature of asking questions and how important that is to uh, how she figures out what she wants to do and why, um, which felt like it just mapped on very easily to the ways that I think a lot of artists see the world. These fields aren't um, necessarily like uh, incompatible or, you know, at at these opposite ends of the pole. Like we're, um, we're still like doing this very, um, very human task of wanting to understand what makes us tick and why we're here and what it means to be alive and, um, that kind of transcends field. Transcendent Kingdom was nominated for multiple awards, including the Carnegie Medal for Excellence in Fiction and Goodreads Choice Awards for Best Fiction. Ya says she's researching an idea for a new book, but is too superstitious to say what it is just yet. 
As for Tina, she's starting the next chapter of her scientific journey. She's applying and interviewing for faculty positions in which she'll continue trying to unravel the neural mechanisms of addiction and depression. I'm Rachel Tampa. I'm Rob Piercy. For more Lab Notes episodes and science research news, visit our website, allaninstitute.org. Thanks for listening.